0: She is a generational influence on so many, inspiring people to discover meaning and purpose in Jesus. She's a multi-time, best-selling author, and her pieces of work, in addition to her weekly presence on stage with her church and even in social media, she is a blessing and she is full of fire on all of the different ways you can imagine, both from her ethnic background to the way that she shows up and curates language and words together, to the way that she teaches the Bible and writes, and just the way she navigates life and connects with the community. I know that you're going to be blessed by her, and I've already been blessed by her time and time again. So to have her on the show was such a treat. Bianca Olaf, I'm so excited to have you. you. And to know you is to be blessed. And obviously to know the depth of who you are through the Lord is that much better. So you guys, be sure to follow Bianca on all of the listening platforms, all of the social platforms. You will not regret it. And like I said, you're going to love this one. So stay tuned for the fire at the end. Welcome to the Fit and Faith podcast. Fit Hey, 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 y'all are hot and in action with a fire starter herself, Bianca Olaf. She calls herself a Mexerican, which I love the combination and the flavor that she brings all the time. She is a podcaster, an author, an incredible speaker, a pastor, a teacher, an educator. And one of my favorite things about her is that she goes there all the time. Uh, and, and that's the place that we need to go. That's the place we're going to go today. And so if you've gotten tuned into we're going there podcast, you got to do that too. Cause she is bringing the heat with two minute interceptions and long-winded pastoral messages of uh, Bianca.
1: Thanks so much for being here. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me
0: yeah it's gonna be a good one, guys, and I've already have some people over on the side sin they're so excited church multiple times. Let's go, love Bianca. she is spoken at my heart and church. oh, that's awesome. you got to tell us what's church, so she knows where you're where you're coming in from. But Bianca, let's dive in. I have read, you know, multiple books of yours. I've listened to the podcast. I listened to you on Sunday. And so I know a lot of your story, but maybe our listeners don't. And I think it's really important when somebody has context of of really being Holy Spirit-led, like how do you get there? And what does that journey look like? And so if we want to share a bit of your backstory, and then we'll get into some hot topics.
1: Yeah, so uh, first of all, I'm honored to have this conversation. I love that we get to see who's watching, who's listening, who's tuning in. It's always a privilege and honor to be able to have conversations. But um, a little backstory: I was born and raised in the church. My dad is a pastor, so I would say like I grew up in a quintessential like Christian home. But uh, and so I said like I want Jesus as my savior as a kid. But it probably wasn't until around the age of 22, 23 that uh, I literally had a come to Jesus moment literally where uh, I was faced with the reality of do I believe in who God says that he is and uh, my mom was diagnosed with two forms of cancer one of them was brain cancer and I was it really came to a moment where my prayers shifted from like God heal my mom you're real if you heal my mom if you do this for my mom then I'll serve you it really began to shift to even if you don't I'm still choosing to believe that you are good, that you're able, that you can, and that you're a gracious God. And so that's, I think, where my my faith like had feet to it. And uh, again, being raised in a Christian household, I knew a lot of the Bible stories. And I went to this thing called Vacation Bible School, where you went to church in the summer. And I went to summer camps and winter camps and that sort of stuff. But it wasn't until probably around the age of 25 that I started to understand the doctrine of the Spirit of God. And I mean, that really, honestly, Tamron, that changed my life. I realize course, that I am living a half-baked life when I have access. Like Paul very clearly say, says the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the grave is alive in me. Arr, time out, time out. Hold up. That how, what, where? Like, like, why do I, why am I walking around? Like I'm basic, like I'm anointed. And so, <laughs> so that, that really was like those two moments, like the understanding of who Jesus was, the acceptance of him as my savior. And then also choosing to walk in the fullness of the spirit of God, were seminal in my walk and faith.
0: Well, and honestly, it's interesting because I know as a mom and you as well, I'm sure you're like constantly cultivating these little humans and you don't really think about the word. At least I didn't at the forefront of my motherhood journey. I do now because it's I'm immersed in it. But this concept of identity wasn't something that was ever taught to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was just on a retreat with 12 women in Mexico, actually. And hey, we were talking, uh, I know, I know Punta Cana is coming next in uh, Dominican. So it's fun. I love to be all over the world and immerse people in culture that they're not used to. But Mexico, of course, it has your heart. But we're talking about like being crowned. And that concept, like you said, I'm anointed, like there is nothing basic about us. And so cultivating these little humans that are already standing in that identity in humility, which I find sometimes can create friction, ego and humility associated to being crowned and anointed. I just I remember that flip of the switch for me. And it was in the darkest time of my life, like feet on the floor, face on the floor, fetal position experience where Jesus got a hold of me, and I remember him just literally taking my chin, which was so downcast, I couldn't make eye contact with people, and him just lifting me to his face. And mm-hmm. I feel like that moment alone for so many people is what they need. How do you usher that in for other people to experience?
1: You know, I think there's an African proverb that states, uh, I've tasted your tears. And it's basically an understanding of I too know this pain. So, you know, you can come in, I'm invited to like a conference or a church. You can come in and wow people with expertise or wow people with knowledge or education. But really, I love walking into a room and getting, I'm a a total feeler, right? So I can go into a room and get like a feeling really quick. And I love being able to connect with the pain in the room. Because it's not our perfection that draws people to each other. It's our pain. It's our struggle that allows people to go to a place of honesty. And I think that there's vulnerability is a big buzzword right now within like Christian talk and even non-Christian talk, you know, let's be sure. Thank you, Brene Brown. Thank (laughs) you. I love it. Love it. Love it. I do too. I I do too. I think that we automatically think it's easy to go there. And Or that it's safe to go there. And it's not. I think sometimes the way that we break down those walls, break down those barriers, is having a moment to say, this is where I've struggled. How are you? Wait, how are you really? And creating space and grace for people to just put down the guard, allow our heart and mind to be open to the things that the spirit of God wants to tell us, and then creating a moment for us to let that that word, that truth sink into our hearts, Hmm. and then being able to receive is God so good? good? Does God love me? Am I seen? It's creating those moments that I think that's those the he where he becomes the lifter of our face, the lifter of our chin. Those are those moments. That's mm. what that happens. yeah.
0: Well, and I think this is not really a connection point for a lot of people is that concept of safety and vulnerability, right? Yeah. It's just. Everybody jumped into vulnerability and everyone's just like spilling their bloodied hearts everywhere. And if you see the way that Jesus did it, like he didn't come back until that was a healed wound, right? Mm -hmm. He came back and he sat with his disciples and he said, you will know me by my scars. And when he broke that bread and they saw this scar, so he had gone through healing he had gone through resurrection that's when he could boldly proclaim who he was and that identity factor mm-hmm. and i had never really associated that to vulnerability until just now but I really think that there's that need for us to recognize like the safety has to first be found in God and always found Mm -hmm. in God. But before you go out to express that to other people or write a book like we've done or (laughs) things like that, it's, you really need to know what does the word of God say about this? What does the word of God say about you? And then to be able to fiercely and vulnerably show up in that way, which is, I really see
1: you doing on a constant basis. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, on this topic, before we move up and like gloss to the next thing, I think it's important and worth us mentioning that there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency. I think that we should be transparent with as many people as possible. I love to keep it real. Like, I mean, I just, I have no problem with that. I think we have to be cautious with who we're vulnerable with. And so, vulnerability is essentially opening up my heart. Transparency is saying, hey, here's my life. Vulnerability is opening my heart. When you open your heart, there is a risk that, someone who's not going to be that tinder with you can, can hurt you. So even in the life of Jesus, he had his followers and his fans, and then he had the, the, the ones that really like traveled with him. Then he had his 12 disciples, but then he had his three, Peter, James, and John. So we talk about who we are vulnerable with, who are we sharing our business plans with? Who are we sharing um, our, our dreams with? Who are we sharing our struggles with? Those are the places that we could be vulnerable we have to be careful not to bring everyone into like everything because then we, or we open up ourselves and potentially get hurt un, uh, unnecessarily so.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think when I think through it from like a different lens, maybe not of you being in the situation, but kind of being a, a watcher over as you experience that heartache with your mom and yeah. trying to navigate those huge emotions at such a young age, I mean, your prefrontal cortex doesn't close till you're 25. So technically you're still so malleable to trauma. I mean, we're all malleable trauma at any point, but at this specific age and there you were in the midst of it. And so it's interesting that instead of like fighting with God, you actually surrendered in that experience. And so talk us through like the shift in, I'm, I'm sure energy had to change from one place of anger and distraught or
1: sadness to then, I surrender it to you. Yeah. I like to say that surrender is the first step to transformation. So we love a good transformation story, but surrender is at the point where we're saying, I'm going to let go of control. And I I, I I hate the phrase, let go and let God, but I really do subscribe to it. I really do. <laughs> For real. I just that my mom was wrestling with brain cancer and was given a 30% chance to live. It was coupled with the fact that it's my senior year of college and I'm there on academic scholarship and I'm afraid I have got to maintain a certain GPA. But for me, it wasn't just the, the basic GPA. For me, I had to have a 4.0. I was dealing with a dysfunctional relationship with a man I affectionately referred to as Satan. And we were dated for three years. I thought I was going to marry this guy. And, um, and we had broke up multiple times and it was just, there was a lot that was going on. My maternal grandmother also passed away during this time. So it got to a point where like everything around me felt like it was incinerated. The things that I held almost in idle form, my relationship, my academics, my pursuit, mm-hmm. my family, all of that was being just pride out of my hands. I had to get to a point where I'm like, okay, God, I'm done. You are in control. You're on the throne. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my heart and I'm going to trust you in this process. Please don't let me down.
0: So good. And that's really what that first book is about. It's like the Phoenix rising from the ashes because what was being burned? He was like, don't worry. Like I am putting you through the fire, but I've got you. And I think that's where a lot of people get so stagnant that they end up being consumed by the fire, but not the fire of the Holy spirit, just the fire of the world. And especially with everything that's transpired with, COVID and I don't want to get into all the politics and all the things that we could go down those rabbit holes. And I did say right before I got on, I said, I'm not afraid to push those buttons. So we might go there, but it's just, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of fire with a lot of different people, groups, and talk about ethnicity and having those multiple conversations on a consistent basis. It feels like a lot of things are burning, And yet I've had this really bizarre sense of peace throughout this entire two year season. And it's been really neat to watch uh, different people, inclusive of yourself, stand up in the face of fear. And so talk to us through with that phoenix rising from the asses, how that really helped. I think I just said asses, by the way. I apologize in
1: advance. Well, <laughs> We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. Oh, that was awesome. I was like, that just came out.
0: Oh, that was good. So, but like really is how do you, how do you face the fear and understand that like you don't have to be consumed by what's going on around you and you
1: can really have that, that eternal peace even here right now in the midst of it all? You know, when we talk about God, uh, it's from the pages from Genesis to Revelation, Old and New Testament, we see that whenever fire is mentioned, one of two things happens. Um, One, the presence of God is revealed and or two, some dramatic changes and happens. And so what I love is um, during this season, when so many things just felt like it were like falling to pieces, it I, I felt like I sensed and I didn't hear an audible voice. But I sense that God was saying the same fire that transforms is the same fire that destroys. You get to choose. Do you want to be transformed and rise out of these ashes? Or do you want this to consume you and you lose your faith? And uh, that was like a huge, huge pivot, pivot point for me, but, I think the concept of um, I, I resonated with the the mythological story of the phoenix rising out of his ashes, almost because it was like uh, if you read that story in context, the phoenix flies to the desert and, you know, tries to connect with God. And that was essentially my journey. I wanted to connect with God, but it just felt like everything around me was incinerating. And yet this bird rises out of his ashes and becomes even beautiful. And I think that's that's what surrender, that's the beginning steps beginning with surrender. When we just say, okay, God, it's not my will, it's your will. And we see this modeled by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, take this cup for me, take this cup for me, but not my will, but your will be done. That act of surrender really transforms us. And we see that through the life of Jesus, he gave up his life in order for us to inherit ours. And we literally experience transformational power through Jesus. And I'm like, I can't, I don't want to be afraid of the fire. I don't want to be afraid of life's fires. In fact, um, Uh, one of my favorite Bible stories. And it's, it's in the book that you read play with fire is um, the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, because they came to a point in their faith, that same moment of surrender. They're going for those that aren't familiar with the Bible story. It's in the old Testament. And it's these three roughneck brothers. I call them these gangsters because they had so much swag to go to the most powerful person of the time and say, yo, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man. They're like, we're not going to do what you've asked us to do, which was bow down to a graven image of gold. Hey, we're not going to bow down. And even if you throw us into the flaming fire, we still will not bow, bow down because we know that God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. And it was that phrase, even if he doesn't, that is, a, that's faith where I'm saying, yeah. this is, I believe that God can, but even if he doesn't, we are still not going to acquiesce. That's the Good. faith the fire that I want.
0: That's good. And that book was written long before COVID, right? When did that book get published? Gosh, gosh, um, it came out in 2018. Yeah. So interesting. I hadn't put the parallel to like how really that's uh, effective for right now. I mean, it's an, a right now book always, right? Because of the concepts, <laughs> but to parallel it to that and what we've been going through, it's like, I'm not going to bow down to the false idols that are being created for us that they're asking us. And they, whoever they, that's your political preference. But really it's the knowing that like, if it's not God, I don't really want anything to do with it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so creating this sense of peace and calm in around our environments with the people that were vulnerable and entrusted to, um, it's been it's been an interesting journey. And it's been really interesting to witness the way like different denominations are showing up to the response of it. And uh, it really makes you question. So I was having this really amazing conversation with someone this morning about Them feeling, even though they had been a part of their church and engrossed in it for many, many years, moved with the church and all these different pieces, they are feeling like almost settled in a place of complacency while it feels like they're being fed outside of the church more than they are inside of the church. And so I would be curious to hear, like, I know you are definitely pro corporate experience, but I also know that you're like, I need you to get after your meal Monday through Saturday too. talk to us through some ways that we can we can be fed on the daily rather than just hearing from a pastor or going to church on a
1: Sunday. Yes. You know, um, I love that you said that because the way that I've explained it to our church, my husband and I lead a church called the Father's House of Orange County here in Orange County, California. And the best way that I explain it to people is I love that people come to church. I think it's amazing that people come to church, but if they're coming to church and that's the only time that they're fellowshipping with other believers or the only time that they're worshiping God or the only time God forbid that they're in their Bible, that's similar to eating one meal once a week and thinking that you're not it's not going to have an effect on you. So in the same way that we would consider that anorexia, people are experiencing sp- spiritual anorexia mm. where they, and statistically speaking, most people are going to church once every six weeks pre COVID. It was once every four weeks. Now the statistics are proving unabashedly it's once every six weeks. So if that's the case, people are not in the word of God. They're not worshiping. They're not hanging out with believers And they're coming to church and that's the one time that they're fed. It's no wonder people are walking around literally spiritually starving. They're not making the right decisions. They're not doing the right things. They're not practicing spiritual disciplines. So I I love that people come to church, but church is not the solve all. And I hate Mm. to say, I say this as a church leader. I say this as a pastor alongside my husband, the church is not the solve all. We've got to daily die to self. I hate that. So I'll just use it under the terms of daily practices. Yeah. Daily practices, whether it's just taking five minutes to meditate on the law of the Lord, what does that mean? Even if you just give God five minutes, open up, open up the book of Psalms, open up the book of Psalms and read a Psalm a day. Do you know that there's 31 proverbs? Read one proverb a day, take a few minutes, put on a worship song. What does it look like to just Pray out loud for five minutes in your car. We talk about spiritual disciplines and we make it seem so complicated. Like read yeah. this book and spend 10 hours studying Greek, Hebrew and A.R. Mary. <laughs> no, no. What was it like to take one step? Just one step. Yeah. Atomic habits by, um, yeah. Oh, I'm blinking. so good.
0: I'm terrible at author names. I,
1: oh, i oh, oh gosh. It's a,
0: it's a number one bestseller for like yes. decades
1: at no, this no, point. I'm it's so over, good. Over. Yes. It's I, so it's good. Anyway. Tamara. Anyways, The author of Atomic Habits uh, talks (laughs) about the 1% rule. And if we just get 1% better every single day, we will be a completely transformed person. Well, if that works in the business sector, why wouldn't that work in the spiritual sector? I'm going to be 1% better. I'm going to spend one more minute communicating with God. I'm going to forgive that person one more time. You know, I'm going to say one last bad word, whatever it may be. But I wonder if that would apply to our lives. Like being a follower of Jesus isn't just showing up at church. It is looking like Jesus Monday through Saturday. And that's what wow. I want you to know. The church isn't going be... I think. Go no, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead.
0: I was just going to say like the sustenance that you get when you do spend that five minutes, it's, you want and you you don't even think about it. You end up spending six and then seven <laughs> and then eight. And then associated to atomic habits, you're now creating a habit stack that's like anytime you're waiting for your coffee to brew, instead yes. of coffee and then Jesus, it's like Jesus while I wait for the coffee, like let's brew together, right? And so you're you're creating this element of practice that is really that it's practice, it's progression, it's sanctification. Yes. doesn't have to be so serious. It is. It's very important. I'm convict- not convicted on the daily for different things, but it's like... It doesn't have to be so structured, I guess is what I should say, rather yes. than serious yes. because it is a serious yes.
1: conversation. We've made a religion out of our relationship with God. And yeah. I, I, that feels cliche, but it really has. Like we have, we've almost made it like this tick box things that we have to do. Yeah. No, it's literally how, how awkward and weird would it be if we went to dinner and I had my to-do list? Okay. Tamra, tell me that you love me. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about your pain. Oh, you want me to forgive you? Like, how weird is that? We approach God in this way. And I'm like, can we just keep it real? Like, God wants us to be real with Him, have a normal conversation, like a normal friend, because that's what He is. He says, No longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. So I get I get turned up about that.
0: I love it. And thank God for the chat right now because James Clear is the atomic
1: habit. James, we're gonna
0: tag you. <laughs> Thank you, yes, yes, yes. Thanks, I please. love it. So, Fit and Faith Media Co. is dedicated to activating mission-driven leaders in the marketplace by way of publishing, press, and play. Because your story doesn't just matter to you; it matters to move others. We help you dissect and share your message through podcasting, book writing, and business development. These three areas are exactly how my team and I have opened doors to stages, become the best-selling author I always dreamed I'd be, and even the entrepreneur that energetically and joyfully shows up to serve each and every day. Literally nothing I do feels like work. Every day feels like play. And we'd love to help you live the same life of freedom and fun. If you're a speaker, a writer, or an aspiring business owner, let's jump on a call today to vision cast your future together. Go to www.fitinfaithmedia.com. Again, that's fitinfaithmedia.com. Book your call. If you're a founder, an innovator, a trailblazer, or a wannabe, we can help you get there. Let's do it. I just feel, I mean, there's so many different ways that we could go with this conversation right now. And I, I really think that one of the biggest things that is so critical and it's associated to identity is this conversation of sex. It's this conversation of shame associated to sex um, and sex, whether it's identity or sex, whether it's intimacy, um, because this is not only a part of my story, it's a part of the book that I wrote, Always Becoming Sex, Shame, and Love. I want to send you a copy after this, so i got to get your Addie before you leave. But it, I just said, Addie, I am just, like, coming out hot with some good lingo today. <laughs> oh, my gosh, my 8-year-old's rubbing off on me already. Uh, but really, Jasmine, I want I want to hear – I just called you your sister's name, Bianca. <laughs> what is – What is it that you're really feeling is the word for not just women, but for adolescents who are walking through the fire of who they are in the Lord or not even knowing the Lord, but they're being pressured constantly, whether it's through Instagram, Snapchat, all of these places to devalue who it is that they are.
1: Uh, Wait, I'm so sorry. Can you repeat the question?
0: Yeah, just like in the conversation associated to shame, connected to sex, connected to like God's desire for sex and intimacy in our covenant marriage, and how there's just a lot of demoralization and devaluization of our sex sexual identity connected to love, I guess, is really the end, end all be all.
1: So I think, I just want to make sure that I'm answering, well, I, I think, I'll take a stab at it and if I'm- Yeah, mis- go for it. Yeah, no, I'm enough. sure it's- um, you know, from the beginning of time, I think one of the enemy's greatest tactics is hanging shame over our neck, like a yoke of bondage. And um, I am passionate about healthy relationships. Uh, from the very beginning, the book of Genesis, uh, God says, let us make man in our image. In Hebrew, that word is Elohim. El is God, El, which is singular. Elohim is God, plural. So if God was in community, God wants us to be in community. Healthy community matters to God. Healthy community shouldn't should matter to us where we see like this miss is that I feel like a um, sex has been the beautiful, shiny wrapped toy that feels elusive that everyone wants. And what, the the tension point is before you're married, it's the enemy is saying, don't uh, have sex, have sex, have sex. Then you get married and the temptation is don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And there's shame on both of those sides that I think we need to address as the church. I think in communicating to um like a younger, I think you were talking about young kids Yeah. Adolescence. Yeah. So I think the messaging in the church unintentionally has been that sex is bad and it's shame and it's covered with shame and it's disgusting. And then you get married and then you should do it all the time. So I think if we have hijacked, the message of sex has been hijacked by the world and God is the creator of sex. He looks at it and says, yes, I approve. This is amazing. You were designed for this. If we take back that message, I think that we should be, we should have the corner of the market on healthy relationships and healthy conversations mm-hmm. about sex. So, um, it's funny that we're having this conversation because this Sunday at church, I'm actually teaching about married sex. It's the big sex talk and we're going yes. to- songs right now. And so I love, and the week after is on shame. My husband's going to be talking about that. So on, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll send multiple copies <laughs> coming your way, a whole box, throw them into the church fuse.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so wild though, because It's just, I think through identity on a consistent basis. And I watch it through the lens of married women and young adolescent women and everyone in between, right? Um, And even women who are divorced, like then there's this whole other realm of conversation associated to that. And it's really my ultimate mission in all things that I do, business, um, showing up to life and and being able to have the Fit and Faith podcast and anything that I do, it's obliterate shame and activate purpose. Obliterate shame and activate purpose. And I'm really good. And I feel like it's really easy to activate purpose. I can put a fire in somebody's hiney any day, right? I'm like, let's go. You have a great idea. Let's make it come to life. But the shame piece, which is the former, it's the first and primary piece, is what people often run from. And so we talked about surrender. We talked about identity associated to that. And then the sex piece is something that feels like it's a constant blanketed piece on our society. And so I'm excited that you're having these conversations and exposing people to sound biblical advice, but also like communication. It's really about saying it out loud. Because I think we keep it in our heads so often. And that's the same thing with these other big conversations in manifestation or energy or spirituality. Will you talk to us a bit and like maybe uncover some of your perspectives on these worldly conversations that are actually biblically rooted?
1: You know, I think oh gosh, it's super layered. It's, 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 it's really very layered. I would think um, as believers, when we speak about the power, I mentioned this at the top of our conversation, Paul very clearly states that the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave is alive in you. And it is that spirit but it's been this language of spirit and energy um, has been hijacked a lot by new age and new age philosophy um, as well as necromancy. I mean, it's getting even necromancy is like talking to the dead and that spiritual world. So I think it's super important for us as believers to have a concept of who this, the Holy spirit is um, the spirit of God and developing that relationship with him. I think where it gets muddled and where it gets confused is if we're not careful, when someone uses their nomenclature of like the spirit, the universe, uh, manifestation, we can easily digest it and say, oh, yeah, I understand that. They're very, very different things, very different things. But unless we don't know, unless we know what we believe, we're not going to be able to, as first as first Paul writes to Timothy in first Timothy, he said to give every man an answer. And we have to be able to know what it is that we believe so that when we are in these conversations, we can talk and say, Hey, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. The spirit that I'm referring to is the Holy spirit, the spirit of God who empowers me to make decisions on the daily. And that is natural and supernatural. We can even go into gifts, like all the supernatural gifts, manifestations of the gifts as well Completely. as the natural. But if we don't know what we believe, we won't be able to have these conversations and culture and impact culture in the way that we're we're called to.
0: Gosh. And I think that if if the church took a hold of these conversations rather than letting them simmer in society, and I, I say church, like I hate church. I love church y'all. <laughs> I am I a church goer. My family goes to church and I just feel like I, I use it as the body, the little C church, not the bride bridegroom church. Like I believe that there are spirit led connected humans that exist in spaces that are half four walls. But what if when those walls are down or the doors are open or the doors are closed, we're still out making disciples. And if we're only trying to speak to the, the people who are in the church, my pastor always talks about he's called to the unchurched because there's so many who have been hurt by church for conversations exactly like this, they're ostracizing people for a lot of different um, ideas. And it's only because no one really knows what does it actually say. And so even I could imagine like just having sermon series, like you've been doing just in this conversation of sex and shame, it's going to really break people wide open to say, Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, I have missed it. I haven't really actually explored the truth. I've just been told what somebody else's perspective of the truth is. Yeah.
1: And I think it's important to know when we talk about truth, like um postmodern theory started with uh, you know, Foucault, Derrida, and 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 so when we talk about truth, I think it's been muddled. Like, is it capital T mm. truth? Is it lowercase t truth? Where Jesus is very mm-hmm. clear, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we talk about truth, it's not rooting it necessarily in my version of the truth, though fr- from a therapeutic standpoint let me clarify that when we recount stories and interactions with each other how we've hurt each other we have our version of truth that's where we can say my truth but when we start talking about philosophical concepts of the truth where we if you're a believer of Jesus if you're a follower of Jesus we talk about that truth it has to go back to the word of God so it doesn't matter what you feel it doesn't matter what you think when we talk about truth we're going back to the word of God why because Jesus said that he's the truth. Therefore we subscribe to knowledge being taught from his word. And I love the fact that we get to hit that's, that's our barometer. That's our anchor. That's our metrics for what it is that we believe as followers of Jesus.
0: It's so good. One of the gals that I was mentioning to you offline um, with love remain ministries. When I wrote my book um, and I was infusing, you know, scripture and and story and and things that I had been experienced through the Bible, I wanted to make sure that like my context was right. Right. Uh-huh. And so she was actually the first person who edited um, my book. And it, there's not really like glory to that because she's not an editor, but she's in and of itself a theologian. She's the only person that I know that has read front to back as many times as she has. And she was able to bring life to the book and in a way that I couldn't have otherwise done because I was still at the time of writing it like a baby Christian, I felt. Right. And so I think it's so important associated to that vulnerability conversation that we had in the for- forefront is like, if you are new in your faith, if this is something that you're exploring um, at baby stages, you're still a waddler or a toddler or an adolescent. I mean, get plugged in with mentors, get plugged in with people who have that sound theology um, and that are constantly going back and drawing from the well. And that's the well of his life and his capital T truth. And so I'm curious when you started writing the next book that you brought out, which is how to have your life not suck. Let's raise our hand. Everyone wants this becoming today who you want to be tomorrow. How have you infused like the word of God in that? Cause I haven't read that one yet. And so I'd love to know what, what you put in that tasty one.
1: Well, the truth of the matter is, is that when you tell people like, Hey, read the Bible, they they probably won't. They, most people don't want to read a book of antiquity, but the, a book of antiquity could speak to us in modernity. And I love this one particular book uh, called Ruth. And it is a short four chapter book out of the pages of the old Testament And I realized that when I was going through my quarter life crisis, again, my mom's dying of cancer. I'm breaking up with Satan. My grandmother's passing away. Um, what pants should I wear? Are cargo pants really a thing? Like, are we going to say yes to mom jeans for the rest of our life? Like I really needed a mentor and I didn't know how to get one. And we talk about it. Oh, we need a mentor. Where do you find a good mentor? You know, it's difficult Can be hard. And so I kind of made my way through 20-somethings in my quarter-life crisis by going to the pages of the Bible and discovering I had friends like Ruth and Naomi, the two main characters out of the book of Ruth. And I learned so much studying that book that I ended up doing like a six-week Bible study out of it and teaching out of it. And that was in my 20s. Well, 10 years later, I realized, gosh, I want to write a resource for... For women who feel like a they are experiencing quarter life crisis and they wish they had a mentor, or b experiencing a fail- failure to launch, and so the book How to Have Your Life Not Suck, the secret is that it's actually based out of the Book of Ruth, and people don't even realize it. So even just reading the book, they're reading seventy percent of the entire Book of Ruth. Right? It's this short book, but I broke it up into three sec- sections, and I really feel like Ruth. Could be this book could be a manual, a playbook based on the life and times of Ruth and Naomi to teach us how to live a life that doesn't suck. So it's broken up into three sections. First one is faith and spirituality. Second is uh, dating and relationships. And third is adulting and growing up. And I take powerful principles out of the pages of Ruth and apply it to our life today. And so um, I I I love that book. I transformed my life. And so this book is an homage to the wisdom of these two women and the mentors that I wish I had, but never had, and now want to be for people who read the book.
0: That is awesome. And I think it's what people need to hear too in a space where they might feel isolated or that they don't have quote unquote access to a mentor is like, I love in all of the things that you bring to life when you story tell from the Bible is you bring them to life in this character persona, like they're sitting right here next to us <laughs> and it's not done very well often. And so kudos to you and being Thank able you. to extract the humanity of the pages, you know, and, and I think that's where character comes into play. And also probably your dad had a lot to do with that. I'm curious, as you stepped into pastoring from a, a church, you know, as you and your husband have done, and is, was it your dad's church? I, I don't think I knew that or not. No, 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 it's no. a whole nother. No. Okay. And so talk to me about like the evolution of that, because I know that there's a lot of conversation, even in certain denominations around like women being on stage. And I'm sure you've come to bat with that. So I'd love to hear just your evolution, because I have a lot of women who either want to start ministries or love to speak and they want to do that more often. um, And they they fear they have fear associated. They're lacking confidence associated to it. And they want to speak boldly, but they don't
1: always feel invited. Yeah, so I love the church I grew up in. I love my dad's church. Um, Really loved, my love and inordinate passion for the Bible came out of sitting under his teaching for as many years as they did. Um, I mean, it's old school church. It was verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line, and book by book. And so we went the word of God a number of times when I was growing up. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a place where women were empowered or invited to preach from the pulpit. I ne- actually never saw it. And, um, it wasn't until I met and married my husband that my husband was just like, um, you're a pastor. And I'm like, no, I'm not. He said, tell me the things that a pastor does. So I just started listing them out and he said, and tell me the things that you're not doing. That you, that you just said a pastor does. And I realized I was like, oh yeah, but I had to really go on a journey to reconcile theologically, um, how, where I, I land on this. And so I started just deep diving into whether or not women could proclaim the word of God. And I read a number of conservative books and read a number of progressive books. And I remember vividly putting them all down on my desk and having a conversation with God. Cause I know At one time, I'm going to come face to face with my maker and I'm going to have a conversation and God Almighty is going to say, what did you do with my son, Jesus? And I didn't want to have to tell my maker. I did not say what you wanted me to say or I didn't speak out in the way that I could or the way that you gifted me because I'm a female. And so I'm going to err on the side of proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory. And I'd rather lead people to the throne room of Jesus and then say, oops, if I'm wrong. But the truth of the matter is, is that like when we started our church, we actually didn't get a whole lot of opposition because my husband on week, week one of our church, he was like, you're going to preach the opening message because we're doing this together. And there's a lot of Mm -hmm. churches that say, you know, us as pastors, they're, they're co-leaders or the co-pastors, but they're really not both Matt and I, we literally lead the church together. It's super integrated. Um, He does implementation, leadership development, um, all direct reports, financial forecasting, vision for the church. I do creative, I do the Sunday morning experience and I'm, uh, oversee the preaching team. So he's on, he's on the preaching team. As long as my, uh, as well as myself, I'm the primary communicator. Um, but we have a number of people that we want to open the platform for young and old, light and dark, female and male, because we want this to feel like a picture of heaven. And so, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't, though it wasn't my history. It wasn't my background. I really had to do a theological dive into what do I believe based on scripture, based on interpretation of scripture, based on historical context, cultural context, commentary and also just a conviction. God, you've given me these mm-hmm. gifts and you're the one opening up doors. I never sent out a card saying, "Hey, have me come speak at your church." I never I never did any of that. Never ran a Facebook ad. I've never done any of that. It literally was just God was opening up these doors. And I said, "Okay, I will walk through every door that God opens for me, and I will unabashedly preach the gospel and believe that God has been consistently with both Matt and I, not just with the church, but then also speaking at other churches, conferences, colleges, and seeing God's hand move has been a, an honor and a privilege.
0: It, I, I've i seen it alongside you and it's amazing to step into that space. I think one of the first times I was ever at a conference actually with you was uh, she speaks with Lisa Turkhurst oh. several years ago. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I was, I've gone to many of her experiences.
1: Wow. Isn't she amazing? Oh,
0: she's so oh, good. She, and I am so grateful her. for how she shows up. She is, yeah. she is, she's amazing. And I think, what I see so beautifully in the community of women who are connected to the Holy Spirit and there's just like this sense of camaraderie that like hey let's do this together let's expand the territory let's expand the vision uh, and really bring women in to speak up and write out and those are the two things that she speaks conference does and so it's just really neat to see the integration of that one of the gals that's on live with us she said something powerful that I think could um, you could bring light to she said said, that is really how I feel. She love, love, love your heart towards speaking, but she doesn't have words to say yet. And what would you just encourage her with um, in regards to like really leaning in? Is it, is it a time? Is it a wound thing? Is it a messaging thing? What would you say?
1: Well, I'd like to pry a little bit more into the story because I don't want to give misinformation, but what I'm hearing right now is her saying, I don't have words to say. And my gut, I'm a feeler. So my gut is saying, I don't want you to hold on to a lie because a lie, mm. the enemy will try to keep you silent. when the Lord is saying, speak out what I have done in your life, girl, you got a beat in your chest. You got a blink in your eye. You got to think in your head. You got some words, right? And so sometimes we're prone to say like, well, I'm waiting for this divine revelation. What if you were just to take your personal devotional time and say, okay, spirit of the living God. What are you speaking to me today? One of the most amazing, successful, and spiritual devotionals was uh, a devotional by the, uh, by the name of Jesus Calling. Uh, Sarah Cunningham is the author of it. And do you want to know that's what she did? She would do her devotions and then she would say, God, speak to me. And she wrote what she heard. And it has been a devotional that's transformed so many people's level of spirituality. So if maybe Mm. you don't feel like you have words, I will dare you. I'll challenge you. I'll call you up to saying, God, I want to be your voice piece. I'm listening to you. So that's one aspect. A second aspect would be taking a look at the inventory of your life and saying, God, where have you been faithful? You probably have a story upon story upon story of God's faithfulness in your life. So if God has been faithful to you, yo, declare it to the world, like do not remain silent. You're giving the enemy license to keep you silent. And you need to be like, boy, bye. Get out of my way. I'm going to proclaim who God is and what he's done in my life. And then the third thing is, is what about the daily discipline of just writing? So one is going to be divine revelation. The, ex, the next is going to be this commitment to like opening your mouth and proclaiming the goodness of God. But the third is going to be discipline. You're just like, Oh, I don't have anything to say. Are you writing anything? What if you just sat down with a daily discipline and said, I'm going to write 500 words every single day and I'll I, an easy exercise Write about your life, play with fire. Mm-hmm. The book that Tamara was, was referencing. That's literally how the book came about. God had been so faithful in my life. I couldn't help but share that. In the lives of others. So, those three things, I gave you three exercises. You have the words. (laughs) That was a
0: masterclass right there. She's over here saying, thank you. You nailed it. And what you don't know about her that I do know about her is that she's actually hosting her third annual event called Triggered, which is all about including and introducing people to the Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful experience. So she just needs the boldness to know that she's already got it. You already got it, girl. I love that so much. Bianca, I want to give you space. If there was anything when you were even thinking through like fit in faith, entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. founders, innovators, trailblazers connected to the heart of the Lord, like what does that mean to you? What would you speak into these people who are kind of blending business and ministry and not kind of they are blending business and ministry because to us business is ministry and ministry is business.
1: Yeah. You know, um, as we wrap up the podcast, this is the, this is the thing I, I, I've just been on this soapbox about, especially coming out of 2020, 2021 is the power of getting back up. I think that we grossly underestimate the power of perseverance and, um, we do not want to embrace long suffering, but to the victor goes the spoils. The winner isn't the one who is the shiniest and the prettiest and starts the best. The winner is the one that finishes. And I think that we're giving people license and excuse to be like, I quit. And I'm here to tell you, get your A up right now and do what God's called you to do. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to falter. You are. What biblical character that impacted culture and biblical history didn't fail, falter at one point. And yet the thing that that marked them. The thing that made them matter was their ability to get back up in spite of their obstacles, in spite of their adversities. And so what I would love to communicate to this community of fierce females is don't stay down. You can get knocked down, but you can't get knocked out. You get back up. You might have to hobble. You might have to limp. You might have to drag yourself, but I'm here to tell you that the There's power and perseverance. It's getting back up the discipline of saying, I'm not going to stay down. That really produces the best leadership, the best entrepreneurs, and the most successful people.
0: Mm, that's so good. And I love that you mentioned long, long suffering because Galatians 522 is a life verse of mine. And it, you know, fruit of the spirit nobody wants, right? Is long <laughs> suffering. And I'm like, come on, Jesus, because if that means that I am alongside, that means I am here for longer. And I have something to say. Right. And so do you. So do these people who are here right now. And so just bear with him. And I think if we can bear into or be alongside anyone, it is God. It is a blessing. And so to, to change your language, you actually said and mentioned it earlier in the context of, Shifting your mindset towards a situation that you've been in that's been really difficult or hard, and changing even your anger towards what was going on with things like your mom or your your Satan ex. Um, I love that so much. Is the, this understanding that we have a choice in the perspective that we bring to every single situation? And so you can either sit underneath the rock or you can stand on top of the rock, but that is up to you, and that's a movement that's an action that's a choice and so not letting the world dictate what is where that rock is placed and and not hiding underneath the basket in the process because you just brought some fire out today of just speak up and stand up and i love it i'm so grateful to you and the ministry that you lead and i want people to get connected to you so they've got the book
1: options here where else do you hang out are you on instagram the most yeah. Yes. Instagram, Facebook, uh, the podcast, we're going there. Yes. And um, as well as sermons on YouTube from, uh the Father's House OC. So good. I'll be out in
0: LA soon. I got to come to church. with Get fired up. You guys, this is Bianca Altloft. I'm so grateful to you and you guys will have all the links, all the stuff in the show notes. Make sure you listen to this again. Get those three from the masterclass that she finished this with and know that she is for you, but more so importantly, she is pointing you to the big guy upstairs. Love you, Bianca. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Hey, y'all, it's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts, and you can tag me and the guests, and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you might even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together and we appreciate the extra step taken. Thanks again for being a loyal listener, and I hope to meet you in person soon at one of the events that we are speaking at or hosting, and I say we because the Fit and Faith team could not do this without you. Until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. This is the Fit and Faith way. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack.